it's Tuesday, December 5th, 2023. Time for episode 248 of the Sports Wagon Podcast. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. The Tuesday edition is on deck. Let's start with the NFL, your week 13 Sunday winners. The Colts, the Chargers, 6-0 over New England. So sounds more like Dodgers, Red Sox, am I right? Dolphins, Lions, Falcons, Cardinals, Texans, Buccaneers, Rams, 49ers go to Philly and lay the beat down 42 to 19. And that game was full of fisticuffs. I went one of the uh what it was the head of security for the Eagles got into it with one of the defensive players for the 49ers, and everybody's pissed off. Now the talk is Brock Purdy for MVP, and <laughs> people are so divided on this. And my whole thing is I mean, I, I, you know, I, typically we look at the numbers, we look at the performance. I think what he has, what the best, not QBR, is it quarterback rating right now? So I don't know. Um, I, I got to look kind of a little bit closely at this MVP race. But I mean, one game to me, I mean, sure, he's been fairly consistent across the season, but I don't know if one game uh, will really crown you as MVP I think it's kind of a culmination of of a number of games but definitely I think he deserves to be in the conversation now is that one game going to propel him to the MVP I don't know but I mean what Christian McCaffrey's having in the season so I mean I know McCaffrey's definitely in the conversation Jalen Hurts for sure but Brock Purdy I don't know we'll see but we'll kind of revisit that a little bit later um other winners the Packers and Monday Night Football Bengals over Jaguars in overtime, 34-31. Jake Browning, in his first career start, goes 32 for 37, 354 yards, a touchdown, and one rush TD. Trevor Lawrence, he left the game in the fourth quarter with a sprained right ankle. From the videos I saw, it doesn't look very good, but Lawrence, prior to leaving, goes 22 for 29, 258 yards, two touchdowns. So for Cincinnati, this is their first road win on Monday Night Football since 1990. That's a very long time, but well-earned. And, of course, you know, Jake Browning really didn't give himself, a, a you know, a lot of, of accolades, so to speak. I mean, he was he kind of downplayed his, uh, you know, his, his performance. But, I mean, great performance, although it was a close game. I watched a little bit of the overtime waiting for SportsCenter, but I ended up saying the hell with it. I figured the Bengals will probably get the field goal. I went to bed. I was tired as hell anyway. But next up for Cincinnati at 6-6, six and six, they host Indianapolis Sunday, 1 p.m. on CBS. Jacksonville goes to Cleveland, uh, same channel, same time uh, for the Jaguars and the Browns. College basketball, let's look at the ladies, the AP top 10 for week five. Remaining at number one is South Carolina with all 35 first-place votes. Remaining at two is UCLA. Up two spots to number three is NC State. Holding at four is Iowa. Up five spots to number five is Texas. Texas is your biggest mover this week. Holding at six is USC. Holding at seven, LSU. Down a spot to eight is Colorado. Down six spots to number nine is Stanford. And up three spots to number 10 is Baylor. Your biggest, your other big mover this week is Washington State. They move up five spots to number 21. Your biggest uh, drop this week goes to Stanford. They dropped to number nine, as we mentioned, six spots. Virginia Tech also dropped six spots to 15. And UConn dropped six spots to 17. UConn has lost three straight games to UCLA, NC State, and Texas. 
Um, this is their lowest ranking in 30 years. And with that drop to number 17, that ends a 354-week streak of top 15 rankings. And that's the second longest streak next to Tennessee. Out of the poll this week, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Princeton. Miami is your top vote getter this week at number 26. Into the poll this week, number 25, Penn State. This is their first ranking since 2014. We'll talk about Penn State in a moment because that um, entry into the top 25 is going to be very short-lived. The top 10 for the men. Moving up a spot to number one is Arizona with 59 first-place votes. Number two, Kansas with one first-place vote, up three spots. Up three spots to three is Houston, and they get three first-place votes. Down three to four is Purdue. Down one to five is UConn. Six six through ten, up three spots to six is Baylor. Up four to seven is Gonzaga. Down five spots to eight is Marquette. Up eight spots to nine is UNC, and up five spots to ten is Creighton. UNC is your biggest up mover this week, your biggest down mover this week. Duke drops 15 spots to number 22. Duke lost to Arkansas and Georgia Tech consecutively, and they also lose Tyrese Proctor to an ankle injury. I have to check on his status, but um, per the reports, it's not sounding very good. Into the poll this week, Wisconsin at 23, Clemson at 24, San Diego State at 25. Out of the poll this week, Villanova, Mississippi State, and Alabama. Number 26 this week, your top vote getter for the men is Virginia. Let's go to the men from action from from the past week. Going back to Saturday, Wisconsin beat then number three Marquette, 75-64. Georgia Tech, as we mentioned, beat Duke, then seventh ranked, uh, 72-68. UNC Wilmington took down number 12, Kentucky, 80-73. On Sunday, Southern, the Southern Jaguars took down Mississippi State by a point, 60 to 59. Let's look at the schedule for tonight. Tuesday, or well, we know it's Tuesday, but we just said that already. However, number nine, UNC takes on number five, UConn in the Jimmy V Classic, 9 p.m. ESPN from Madison Square Garden. Wednesday night from the Fiserv Forum, 8 p.m. Fox Sports 1, number 12, Texas visits number eight, Marquette. On the ladies' side, if I get my notes here, boom, from Sunday, Stanford, we mentioned Stanford. Stanford got bowled over by Gonzaga, 96 to 78. And as I mentioned, Gonzaga, uh, uh, they'll should be in the poll uh, or they got some votes this week. Number 13, Baylor, big by 20 over Oregon, 71 to 51. Oregon is now four and three and unranked. So what is happening in Eugene? Kelly Graves, over the last three or four years, we're seeing this vast leaving, if you will, of players. And over the last couple of years, they've managed to make it respectable. They've gotten, you know, some rankings. But this year, they they lost to Portland. They lost to Baylor, a ranked team. It's not going very well in Eugene. And the question I have is, are Kelly Graves' days numbered in Eugene? It remains to be seen, but, I mean, again, he's been there for a long time, Final Fours. I mean, he's had some great players, but what's happening? I mean, you know, it's interesting that there seems to be, at least to me, a small number of programs that seem to bring in some really good transfers and then start to see a mass exodus at the end of the season. So you think all the – you see the team chemistry is great, the players are playing well – for the most part, with Oregon, they're still 
four and three. They played seven games. They're one game over 500. But again, going into the last year of this Pac-12 schedule, I mean, if they can turn that, if they can make that into something, okay, that will potentially bode well for the Ducks. But right now in their um, seven games into their their non-conference schedule, I mean, it does not look good for Oregon. Other scores from Sunday, Chattanooga over number 21, Mississippi State, 59-53. Rhode Island takes down number 25, Princeton, 60-58. So shout out to Coach Tammy Reese uh, and uh, the Rhode Island Rams there, you know, doing great things. And again, that's why she stayed and she knew that, you know, she's bringing in the recruits and she knew that she's going to have something special and she definitely got something special going on uh, in Rhode Island. Last night, so as I mentioned, Penn State, their, their stay in the top 25 is probably going to be short-lived. They lose to West Virginia, 83-65. Let's move over to college football. Oh, boy. The week, championship week picks. <laughs> well, I went four and six. And you know what? There's a there's a couple games here. As I look back on it, I say, okay, um, Washington. So when I made the prediction, I remember kind of going back and forth. And I did say to myself, you should go with your first instinct. And my first instinct was, and I believe I said this to pick Washington. Now, I don't know why I felt Oregon had a shot. Now, the game was close. So as I'm watching the score, I'm going, well, this could go the other way. But what it does with this Washington win, obviously, it helps them with the CFP. We'll talk about the CFP in a minute because if you've been living under a rock, you know the CFP has been a complete hot freaking mess. Um, Alabama, wow. Um, yeah, I, what do you say? <laughs> I mean, um, Georgia, you know, I think the conventional wisdom, most people took Georgia, rightfully so. Not to say that anyone thought bad of Alabama, anyone thought that, you know, Alabama was washed. Because remember, ladies and gentlemen, towards the beginning of the season, with the way that Alabama started the season, and we kind of saw Alabama kind of pick it up and make something of the season, a lot of people are going, you know, the saving magic is done, Alabama's washed. I'm going, ain't no way. I mean, I just, I could not see it. Now, where they were in reference to their rankings in the CFP, I say, okay, it's not looking good, but they'll still go to a New Year's Six Bowl. They're, they're going to be in this thing. And as we know, Alabama made their way back into the championship conversation. So, again, we'll talk CFP in a moment. Um, and then, of course, there's Florida State. Florida State grinded it out against Louisville, and unfortunately it was all for naught. Um, Michigan over Iowa, uh, I think that was kind of a no-brainer. Um, again, the uh, OC situation at Iowa is something that hopefully will improve their fortunes. But for the most part, I think most people would agree that Michigan was going to win this game. Hopefully, I mean, well, I'm not saying hopefully. Maybe there's some Iowa fans who thought we ain't got a shot. I mean, probably most of them thought they had a shot, but I'm sure there are a few of them who were probably thinking clearly were going, look, with the way we score, and I think I read a, a stat today where it said Iowa had more yards punting than they had more yards of offense this year. If that don't tell you the whole story. <laughs> and then I saw another one that said Caitlin Clark in eight or nine games in her season with Iowa women's basketball 
in eight games, remember, she's got probably another 30 some games to go, has scored more points than Iowa football. <laughs> I mean, I mean, first of all, shout out to whoever figured that out, whoever kind of collected that data. But again, it just shows how woeful that offense was this year. And I don't think anyone with a shred of sense thought Iowa was going to come out and have this offensive explosion and hang with Michigan. There was no possible way. Um, let's see. Mountain West, again, that was kind of a coin flip. I felt good about UNLV. Boise's doing some good stuff here. And uh, we'll talk about more about Boise State in a moment with coaching news. Um, as I, felt, I felt good about SMU, although Tulane has been good over the last few years. They were the defending AAC champs. They hand the championship trophy over to SMU. Again, we'll talk about Tulane in a moment. There were some changes there. But for the most part, I mean, the week kind of went, um, as I kind of look back over it, with the exception, you know, the MAC championship, that was also a coin flip. I mean, Toledo was the favorite. I figured I'd go with the favorite. Miami, Ohio came out with a head full of steam and took that win. Um, Liberty win the Conference USA. I, th I think that was a pretty safe bet. But for the most part, I think the day went, about kind of in retrospect, I feel like the 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 game the day went about how I thought it would go, and you know, I mean, four and six isn't terrible. I feel I, you know there's a there's a little bit of time where I thought oh, I'm, I'm gonna be like one and nine, you know, which I still feel don't feel great about four and six. I really don't. I usually, you know, my picks have been pretty good this year. I think I've had maybe one week where it wasn't great. Now make that two weeks. But, you know, I, I, I had a tweet where I said, you know, I've, I've, you know, my Dexter tweet, I have failed you. Um, I, I want to apologize to my listeners because <laughs> I have failed you. I feel like I could have done a much better job with the picks, but, you know, hey, it is what it is. This is probably the last, well, not the last, this is um, a few more picks to go with the bowl picks uh, for the season now. I'm 137 and 75. We still got what? Bowl picks um, coming up over the next couple shows. We got Army Navy on Saturday. Uh, we'll talk Heisman in just a minute. So for my bowl picks, I've got what twenty nine games currently that I'm looking at. Now again, by Friday, it's either going to be. I feel like I'm going to take a couple games off because I'm doing a quick look at the matchups. And to be honest with you, these bowl matchups this year don't look that good. The last couple seasons, the bowl matchups have looked fantastic. This year, I'm not really happy with the bowl matchups there. Meh. Um, remember that because, and I think I mentioned this the last show, because of the lack of six-win teams, you know, JMU got in the conversation. So JMU, I think, is going to play Air Force in the, uh, in the Armed Forces Bowl, I believe. Um, I saw something where one team got swapped out. So uh, I think West Virginia got traded from one bowl to another, which I'm going a bowl trade. What in the tarnation is happening here? <laughs> a bowl trade. Who does that? But we are living in very odd times, as you remember, with the CFP situation. Um, so 29 bowls that will include the New York six and the CFP. So the two semifinals. The other piece of this is there are a number of star players who are sitting out their bowl game. So right now, I know Caleb Williams off, top, off my top of my head. Caleb Williams is not going to play for USC, which you know more than likely means he's you know going to head to the draft. And you know we're going to get all the commentary, um, all the talking heads, 
not all, but many of the talking heads are going to feel some kind of way. Well, you, you remember Kurt Herbstreet's um, famous speech a couple years ago. I don't think these players love the game of football like we love the game, Desmond. And I'm going, yeah, Herbie, you and I are about the same age, and I get it, but it's kind of like it's a different time. I mean, you know, you and Desmond Howard didn't have NIL. You guys weren't getting all this money because then it was illegal. Um, you know, you, you're 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 gonna play regardless. Okay, if I get hurt and go to the league, it's gonna be fine. But you know, these kids kind of think differently, and for better or for worse, they're thinking about the fact that they want to go into uh, the, the draft and in many cases the combine they want to be in their best physical condition they want to get ready they don't want to have any issues that are that's going to hurt their draft stock so I mean it's a different time I mean I know I'm I'm the old fogey too and there's sometimes I think of things and I'm going well back in my day you know I don't know there's my grandpa Simpson voice but I really I'm mad at them I'm not I'm not mad at these young people for thinking about the simple fact that they're playing a sport, that they're going to get drafted to play that sport, and they're thinking about the long-term implications of, you know, the what if, because you don't know. You could walk out on that field and you could come back healthy. You know, you might tweak something, all right, fine, but you could go out there and really hurt yourself, and then where are you? Now, word on the street is Caleb Williams ain't hurting. I mean, his NIL deal is pretty good so you know if he were to play and get hurt I mean he's not gonna be hurt for anything but again long term what does that do for his draft stock I mean it will you know significantly uh diminish his draft stock so we'll we'll, we'll take those things into account as we kind of look at um all the things all the bowl picks so it said as I said 29 games I feel pretty confident that I'm going to whittle that down some because and, and we'll do it over two shows. I think I had to go back through the archives and look at uh, last year and I did do it over two shows because we still got a few more things to talk about before we wrap up season four. So I'm really kind of planning that out, how we want to get that taken care of. And um, and it's about the time of year, as we know about December time frame, we kind of shut the show down for a few weeks, and then we come back at you strong in January, uh, finishing off the college football season with the CFP and, you know, kind of looking more strongly at college basketball because, again, college basketball conference uh, play for the men and the women will be wrapping up, will be winding up really soon. And before you know it, it's going to be time for us to do brackets again. Isn't that insane? And baseball is going to start in February, like spring training, I mean, man, the circle just keeps on turning. All right, when we come back, we'll talk CFP. We'll do news and notes, so we'll talk Heisman. uh, Candidates were announced. And then, oh, we're going to update transfer. The transfer portal's been jumping with all these coaching changes and whatnot. And I'm going to end the show with the NBA because I'm going to talk about the in-season tournament. I already told you I felt about it, but I kind of – Glanced at it this morning and I go, oh, this got real interesting because they're in semifinal mode and I am just, I don't want to say amazed, but I'm kind of like, whoa, this is where we are. So I'm going to look at it, kind of make some predictions. I'm probably going to be wrong, but who cares? Stay tuned.
All right, everybody, welcome back. So let's look at the CFP. So your top four, so the teams that will compete for the college football playoff championship, or the college football national championship, Michigan one, Washington two, Texas three, and Alabama four. So Alabama, with their win over Georgia, did more than enough to get themselves into this. So as I talked about in the first segment, that um, Alabama, you know, as the season started and went on, you know, people, you know, as we said, people were feeling that Alabama was, you know, losing their touch, that, you know, Saban didn't have it anymore, and they were pretty much a, a dead program. And, you know, as, you know, Jalen Milrow went, this team went, the play got better. Now, where they were comparison in comparison to the SEC championship, they were still, you know, fairly out of position as far as getting into the playoff, but then beating the top team, the, the two-time defending national champs. Um, yeah, so that pushed them into the playoffs. So you could technically make an argument for all four of these teams. You could. And to be honest with you, um, I think that that complicates the CFP. So let's go back historically. So if you take it back about 30, 40 years, it was, it was the polls. So the writers crowned the national champion. In some cases, it was pretty easy to do. If you have one team that goes the whole season undefeated, untied because ties were a thing, then sure. Of course, when you had ties, then someone had to, you know, they had to sit and think about it and count votes and figure out who was going to be national champion. They were tired of that because there were too many cases of split national titles. One poll says this team's a national title. The other poll said this team's a national, um, national champion, rather. So the BCS comes along. So what I find here, the BCS and the CFP literally have the same problem. Because the issue that I have with both is that, number one, first and foremost, the, the way in which these committees will... Uh, I guess the criteria, what I'm trying to say, the criteria in which these teams are analyzed by in some, in some cases, um, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it's all relative. Um, so let's look at the floor. Let's look at Florida state. So Florida state finished five and Georgia finished six. So those two teams are going to play each other in the orange bowl. So Florida state, undefeated power five champion and they don't make the top four. That's the first time this ever happened. Now it's going to be the last time it ever happened because they're going into what 12 teams next year. So there's a number of ways you can look at this. Now I have, I did hear someone mention that a quote conspiracy theory, you know, kind of tongue in cheek that. So if you remember that the 12 team playoff, the original plan was they wanted to start it this year. But Florida State, not Florida State specifically, the ACC rather, the ACC sort of blocked it. Like the ACC, I think at the time was in flux as far as their um, their commissioner. So Jim Phillips was hired kind of not too long or kind of in the middle of them trying to figure this out. And the ACC was kind of like, no, we need to take more time. I think all the presidents got together. The chancellors were like, I don't know about this 12-team playoff thing. So they see sort of put the kibosh on it. I think the SEC may have as well, or the SEC wanted to move forward, but they were kind of in the middle, and it didn't happen. So they had to delay it. They tabled it. And then essentially now it's going to happen next year. So they had to plan it two years out 
um, for the simple fact that they have to think about um, securing venues and which bowl is going to host it, this, that, and the third. So the conspiracy theory was that because the ACC was one of the conferences that sort of put the kibosh on us doing this thing earlier that the committee said, nah, no Florida State. Again, that's silly tongue-in-cheek. It's not that. But let's kind of go into the bare bones of this thing. So a lot of things were presented during the CFP show, and they talked about strength of schedule for one. And initially, I was like, okay, I didn't know that. I didn't know that Florida State had a really poor strength of schedule compared to, say, in Alabama. All right, fine. But then I've heard other people make these points. Number one, if, th- if strength of schedule were an issue, Florida State shouldn't have been ranked. Because what I find with strength of schedule, the CFP and even the BCS committees, they keep moving the goalposts. So on one hand, they'll say, well, we need you as as a conference to improve your outcomes. Your conferences need to be better. You need to schedule more, more uh, better opponents so your strength of schedule is better. Your conference looks better, so on and so forth. Okay, they do that. And you still, and I'm just talking about Florida State in general, that happens and still teams get left off. They'll play really well, but they still get left off. I kind of feel like they're moving the goalposts. Strength of schedule to me is one of those things that I think it's important. But at the end of the day, if your strength of schedule is relative to your your talent. So Florida State, for the most part, played a pretty good schedule. Um, the only issue is, and I'm kind of going to strength the schedule thing, is they played mostly conference opponents. Okay, the ACC isn't that strong. So you, can you penalize them for strength of schedule when most of their opponents, they played, well, I think they played LSU to begin the season, and I'm trying to think who else they played from a strength of schedule standpoint. The one outlier in that was the game that Jordan Jordan Travis got hurt was the Northern, Northern Alabama, which is they were like a, I think they were like a three and five team or something crazy like that, or three and six or whatever. That's the only outlier. So my whole thing is you're penalizing them for playing their conference teams, which they're supposed to do. But at the same time, too, the conference is supposed to be getting better. If the conference is getting better than that, supposedly, then that helps you as a uh, as a team. Now, the ACC, as we know, hasn't been strong in a very long time because, again, Clemson was the standard bearer. Clemson's down this year. Now Florida State's the standard bearer. Miami, who knows when the heck they're going to get back up. Carolina's been very up and down. So there's a lot of teams in the ACC that have the potential to be good, but it feels like everyone in the ACC is saying, well, only one team can be good at a time because if you look at the Big 12, there are a lot of good teams in the Big 12. Now, are they all championship worthy no but there's at least competition in the big 12 the pac 12 forget it they were just beating each other up this year they were all decent this year um the big 10 again for the most part the big 10 was okay i mean it's the usual suspects it's michigan's penn state it's ohio state that's really it I'm, i'm probably forgetting somebody but it's the usual suspects in the big 10 but yet from those usual suspects who was it? It's Michigan. So Michigan's back in the CFP again. Um, the other thing that I have a problem with with the CFP is if you remember 2017, Central Florida. Central Florida. So they were from the group of five. They were undefeated and didn't make the CFP. So here's where they make that strength of schedule. So here's the strength of schedule again. 
And if you look at strength of schedule, the uh, so here's the other piece that I think I have a problem with. So with Florida State, going back to them for a second, um, their explanation was they struggled against Louisville in the ACC championship game, and then they projected out, well, without Jordan Travis, they're not going to be very good, and thus they're not going to do anything. You know, they're going to lose. Let's go back to 2017. Same thing, UCF. Now, we're talking about a group of five team, but a very group, good group of five team. And what does the CFP do? Well, they're from the AAC, the American Athletic. Uh, they're probably going to go to the first round and get, they're going to play the top team in the country and get washed. How do you know? Do you have some way to tell the future that we do not? It's like, I feel like the CFP, kind of what I was trying to say earlier, I feel like the CFP, outside the committee, outside of just the the criteria that they have written, I think they try to get real subjective. And of course, let's also consider the fact it's about ratings and money. So they're thinking, well, if Central Florida goes on to play, I don't know who's number one this year. Let's say that year's probably Alabama. If Central Florida goes play Alabama, they're going to get crushed. Why, why does anyone want to watch that? I mean, someone will watch it. It's going to be on television. Sure, you may not get the ratings you want, but you're going to get ratings. You're going to put butts in the seats. People are going to attend. And I would wager, I mean, kind of in 2023 from 2017, I would wager that you would fill that stadium full of fans from both schools. And I guarantee you will probably get more UCF fans than you get Alabama fans. Because, hey, number one, they're there to support their team. Alabama fans travel. They're going to do what they got to do. But I bet you UCF fans thinking, we're, we're trying to compete for a championship. You're going to fill that stadium. You're going to put butts in the seats. The TV might be different. People might tune it out. But I guarantee you, you'll fill that stadium. Because guess what? If, if Central Florida were given the chance, they could pull off the impossible. You want to say you were there. So kind of fast forwarding back to now, I feel like a conference, a, a college football committee that's trying to project, oh, well, because they're working with a third-string quarterback, they're going to go to, they probably would have been fourth. They're going to go play Michigan and get destroyed. What? How do you know that? What? What? Okay, guess what? You're looking at a Michigan fan base that travels. You're looking at a Florida State fan base that travels. You're going to fill the stadium. You're going to get fans. You're going to get the TV. But, well, Michigan, Alabama, two-story programs, that gives us more TV. That sells more tickets. I Again, this is all a money ploy, and it sucks because Florida State, they, you know, like Coach Mike Norville said, they did everything they had to do. They did what they were asked to do. They went undefeated. They won their conference, and how did they get rewarded? They get pushed off to the side by the CFP committee. So next year when we go to 12 teams, you're going to be in that scenario. What if you do have a group of five team that is like the 10th, 11th, or 12th team or higher? Do you say, well, because they're higher up, let's say, um, looking at what I did last time, I did the what if last time, let's say they are uh, in the ninth position. If they're in the ninth position, they're going to play, if they're in the ninth position, they will play the team right above them. So let's say they're ninth, this group of five team is ninth, let's say they get a I don't know. Let's say they get a Penn State. Okay. A group of five team versus Penn State. Okay. 
So you're going to say, well, because they're good, they're from the group of five, they played this good football, but they didn't really play really great opponents, and their offensive line's not that great. They're going to get run off the field by Penn State. Who does that? This why this is why you play the game. To do that, I think, has to be the highest level of puppetry I've ever seen. Well, we're going to... We're going to play with this. And, well, looking at this, it's not about the wins and losses. It's not about the strength of schedule, which, you know, again, they kind of are iffy about that. It's about, well, if I look at these teams on paper, if you do that, then it's like, well, there's the matchups terrible. Let's not make this matchup happen. So we're going to push you guys off and bring in a team that gives us a better matchup, that gives us more money and puts more butts in the seats it's it's ridiculous man i yeah i mean watching the show initially on sunday i was really kind of following some of the logic and then i started thinking about it more and then listening to some other podcasts some other people talking about it and the more i thought about it i mean yeah this is definitely i mean obviously but it's definitely more about money and about matchups and about who's going to you know, who's going to bring in the money, who's going to put butts in the seats. And I, I promise you, if next season, we're going to keep an eye on this. Next season, if there's a group of five team that's hot and they basically say, you know, hey, we think them in the eight position or the six position or hell, even the five position. So if they're in the five position, they would be what? They would be just outside. So they would play what? So if they were in the five position, they play the last team in the 12. They would be in a more advantageous position. But if they're anywhere 10, 11, 12, 7, 8, 9, I don't know. You might get beat up by Texas. Maybe this is not a good idea. Maybe this isn't your fight. And I think they are interfering in the process of allowing a football game to be played. What if they are better than what you think they are? You know, football's football. Sports is sports that any team at any given time can win a football game, can win a basketball game. So why are we playing with the matchups? Because the matchups don't look attractive. If that were the case, then bowls would be all the teams who won 10 games or more, and we would just have them play each other, you know, which, you know, I, I really think we should have less bowls. The bowl situation is getting a little out of hand. Um, it, it's becoming like a participation trophy kind of scenario. But, um, you know, again, capitalism continues to rule the day on the bowl side and also on the CFP side of things. All right, let's get to news and notes. So the Heisman finalists have been announced. So your finalists from LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels, from Oregon quarterback Bo Nix, from Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr., and from Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. So of these four finalists, three of them are transfers. Jaden Daniels started his collegiate career at Arizona State. Bo Nix started his career at Auburn. And Michael Penix Jr. started his career at Indiana. So the past six Heisman winners have played at more than one school. And this dates back to, or six, pa I'm sorry, six past winners, misread that, sorry. Six past winners have played their career at more than one school. So that dates all the way back to 1945 with Army's Doc Blanchard starting his career at North Carolina. Of course, Cam Newton uh, come to Auburn from Florida. Baker Mayfield uh, in 2017. So Newton won in 2010. 
Baker Mayfield went from Texas Tech and won the award at Oklahoma. The following year, Kyler Murray at Oklahoma, where before he was at Texas A&M. Joe Burrow, remember, he went to LSU. He started his collegiate career at Ohio State. And last season, Caleb Williams started his career at Oklahoma and winning it at USC. The Pac-12 has two finalists for the first time since 2010. So Stanford's Andrew Luck, who finished second in the voting to uh, Cam Newton, and Oregon's LaMichael James, he finished third in the voting. Ohio State, with Marvin Harrison Jr., now has finalists in five of the last six years. And on Friday, we'll look at all their season stats. We'll make a prediction. As we know, the trophy will be awarded Saturday night on New, uh, in New York City, uh, at on ESPN starting at 8 p.m. Let's go to coaching news. Hired Willie Fritz. So I remember talking about Willie Fritz uh, being a good candidate for the Duke job. So Willie Fritz is on his way to Houston. So Fritz has led Tulane to bowls in five of the last six years. And the last two years, Tulane has been 23 and four. Remember, we just mentioned that they lost the AAC championship game this year to SMU, but they won the AAC last year. Also last year, they won the Cotton Bowl over USC 46 to 45, a thrilling Cotton Bowl victory that, you know, and again, I think I'm pretty sure I probably thought USC would win that game. I have to go back and look at the archives. But if I pick Tulane, then maybe I'm not doing as bad in these picks as I thought. Um, Fritz has won at every level of football. He won. He's won titles in Texas at high, in high school. He won two national junior college titles. He's also coached on the FCS and FBS levels. Boise State promotes interim head coach Spencer Danielson to head coach. So he was the defensive coordinator prior, prior to replacing Andy Avalos, who was fired about a month ago when the team was 5-5. Five and five. Now they finished 8-5. and five. They won the Mountain West Championship over UNLV, and they're on their way to a bowl. So congratulations to him. And as I said, and I, th- I think I, I don't think I mentioned this, but we'll say it again. Sean Lewis. So I, I talked about how Sean Lewis was demoted from OC and calling plays at Colorado. He is now the new head coach at San Diego State, which I told you he was going to leave. Um, before he took the Colorado OC job, he was the head coach at Kent State. And we talked about there was a trend happening with a lot of these head coaches uh, taking OC jobs. It wasn't happening a lot, but there were he was one of the bigger names that did that. And at the time, I believe they were talking at that time. This is last season. Bobby Petrino potentially doing that. But he stayed at Missouri State and then ended up uh, back at Arkansas, as we reported last show. So Lewis runs very high tempo offenses, as we saw with Colorado a score. You know, they generate a lot of yards. And remember the big difference. So when Lewis was demoted and wasn't calling plays and they handed the reins of the offense at Colorado over to Pat Shermer, we saw a steep decline in offensive production. So, again, I'm not surprised. I mean, considering the fact that Lewis calling the plays wasn't really the problem. So they lose a couple games. They didn't score a whole lot of points. He gets demoted. And Pat Shermer takes over. It was even worse. So, hey, I'm not mad at Sean Lewis for leaving. Congratulations to him. Um, as far as coordinators, USC is near a deal with UCLA's defensive coordinator, Deonton Lynn. UCLA's defense was number 11 in total defense. And this is his first year in Westwood. That is a stark improvement over last year where they were 89th in total defense. Baylor hires Jake Spavital 
from Cal as their new offensive coordinator. He runs an up-tempo spread offense. Baylor's offense was 70th. That's 7-0 this season. So that's total offense. And in five games, they scored less than 20 points. So congratulations to those guys. Um, Still waiting to hear about Duke. I suspect that, again, Duke is probably waiting to talk to somebody who's probably in a bowl situation right now. So we'll get back and we'll report when uh, that occurs uh, or any other hires for that matter. Uh, Transfer portal. Man, since yesterday... Whole lot of whole lot of big names hit the transfer portal yesterday. So we'll just go through the, all the names and we'll kind of update some stuff. So um, yesterday and over the last few days, Dylan Gabriel, the quarterback from Oklahoma, Cam Ward, the quarterback from Washington State, and Brock Vandergrift, the quarterback at Georgia, all hit the transfer portal. So Ward, as we know, is a dual threat, throw, run. He's going to make somebody's offense happy. Vandergrift appears to be appeared to be the next man up at Georgia. Um, but here's an interesting little wrinkle here. At one point in his uh, his recruiting, Vandergriff committed to Lincoln Riley. So could he be heading to USC? Hey, you never know. We'll see how that goes. Um, Miami, Tyler Van Dyke has a transfer portal, and Van Dyke's career has been really up and down. I mean, he was the uh, ACC freshman of the year, and since then it's just been a downward trajectory for him. So he's out of Miami to make a new start. Will Howard from Kansas State, the quarterback, he's in the in the portal. Um, Kyle McCord, this was the big surprise. Kyle McCord, the quarterback from Ohio State, he's in the portal. He's gone. So that was really interesting. And, you know, portal is funny because – a lot of times these guys kind of what I suspect is happening is a lot of times these guys know they know what's coming down the pike. They know that somebody is coming in that's going to give them some competition or somebody's coming in that's, you know, potentially got a little bit more in the tank to take their job. And I heard somewhere, you know, I was listening to um, uh, my man, uh, Ball Hawk, uh, Ahmad Hawkins, the Ball Hawk show. So shout out to him. He was kind of breaking it down and saying that a lot of times a lot of these coaches They'll kind of tell their players, hey, you might want to go jump in that portal, but no one says that out loud. So who knows what the situation is with Kyle McCord or any of these players for that matter. But um, there's some names out there. I mean, again, we usually see one or two big names hit the portal. But so far, and this is early, guys, we haven't got to the end of the season and we haven't seen any big things happening uh, a lot of movement happening with all these coaching chains. We've seen a few movements. So Duke has lost a few guys. Uh, JMU, a bunch of their guys on the defensive side of the ball hit the portal quick, fast, and in a hurry. Um, there's a piece of me that wish they would come across the mountain and go to Charlottesville. That's just me, but anyway. Um, Riley Leonard, speaking of Duke, Riley Leonard hit the portal last week. However, he has put in a do not contact tag. So Riley Leonard knows where he's going. Uh, I may have talked about this. Anyway, a lot of folks thinking Duke or Auburn. That's the that's the word. So we'll see where Riley Leonard turns up. Um, Max Johnson, who transferred from Texas A&M, he's already in North Carolina. So he's going to be their next guy. Drake May, as we know, he's more like a hit in the draft as good as he's, as he's been over the last couple of years. Um, one last portal news, and this is actually a little different. 
Tyler Buckner. So remember, Buckner spent his first year at Notre Dame, played in a few games for the Irish. He transferred to Alabama. So he essentially followed Tommy Reese, who's their new OC to Alabama. Um, Buckner is in the transfer portal, but he's in as a lacrosse player. So the reports are saying that he's exploring his options to play lacrosse this spring and has not completely ruled out football. So in addition to um, he, he was a very good lacrosse player in high school and he was a top recruit. He played. Uh, he's from California. So going to be interesting to see where Tyler Buckner ends up. And I suspect, and this is just kind of a thought here, I suspect that he'll probably go somewhere where he can play lacrosse and potentially find his way onto someone's football field. So schools that have decent lacrosse programs and decent uh, football team. So that's probably going to limit him to a lot of schools more so on the East Coast you might get a couple in the Midwest, but not that many. So kind of got a real general idea where Kyle or, or Tyler Buckner might end up. All right. Uh, last thing for today, the NBA, the in-season tournament. Man, so as I said, I'm not really a big fan of this tournament. Um, I don't know. I, I just think it's just extra whatever, just for whatever. You know, we're going to play regular season games, but just make it a tournament. What? But. Um, last night, second-seeded Pacers over the third-seeded Celtics, 122-112. to 112. Tyrese Halliburton had the first triple-double of his career, 26 points, 10 rebounds, 13 assists. Jason Tatum hits a double-double for the Celtics, 32-12. and 12. On the west side of things, the number three Pelicans over the second-seeded Kings, 127-117. Brandon Ingram goes for 30. De'Aaron Fox goes for 30 as well. I'm sorry, uh, Brandon Ingram, rather, 30 for the Pelicans. For the Kings, De'Aaron Fox at 30. DeMontis Sabonis had a triple-double, 26 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists. So the Pelicans and the Pacers advance. Tonight, we have the other half of the semifinals, uh, quarterfinals, rather. Um, Bucks top seed versus the Knicks, fourth seed, 730 TNT. And then 10 p.m., same channel, the number one Lakers visit the four number four Suns. Um, hmm. So this is going to be wild to me. It would be crazy if it were Nick. Uh, uh, Sun, I got Suns Pacers. <laughs> It'd be crazy to me if it would be Nick's Pacers. But I, I feel like the Bucks are going to win. Although since the Knicks and the Bucks played in that first round game, that pool play game, the, the Knicks have really picked it up. I, I got to give them some credit. They've really picked up their play because that first game, what Jalen Brunson scored like what his career high, he's like 40 some points and they still lost. I mean, it was just a shootout that game, but the Knicks have finally figured it out. I think they're second in the East. They've lost seven games. So, I mean, right now, like anything else, it's anyone's tournament to win right now. So we'll kind of get back and look at the rest of this on Friday. All right, everyone, that's all I got for today. I appreciate you listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the likes, the reshares, um, the subscriptions on Spotify. Save me, like me, give me a five-star rating if you can. Hit hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, it's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, emails in the show notes. Send me email if you got questions, comments, concerns. Uh, we'll address them. As I said, as I always say, be respectful. I mean, again... 
you know, I, it's easier for me to block you than respond to you if you're going to be a dick. Um, also, remember, continue to take care of yourself, stay healthy, flu shot, not too late, still early enough, COVID vaccine, and also to remember to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sports wagon pod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.